Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. Joined this week by my guy, John Stargarden. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox. And we are here propping you up for the last UFC event of the year, UFC Vegas 45, headlined by a heavyweight banger between Derek Lewis and Chris Dacus. Really looking forward to seeing how that one goes out. And a couple other great fights sprinkled out throughout the card, John. Is there anything else that really sticks out to you in terms of uh, not even from a betting perspective but more so from an entertainment perspective what are you looking forward to yeah i mean it's not a bad card it, it, it's kind of weird because the like, name value is somewhat light across it but you know a couple of interesting fights i think a sun Sao simone is pretty fascinating fight just because we haven't seen rafael since he got knocked out and a couple years ago this would have been you know, I don't think anybody would have looked forward to this. And now it's like, well, Ricky's on the rise and Sun Sao maybe has one fit out the door. So I'm pretty excited for that. Pretty excited for Gamrot and CDF. I don't know how you can't be for that one. Yeah, no, there's a ton of good fights. And yeah, I'm absolutely excited for a Sun Sao Simone as well. Uh, almost a passing of the torch type of fight if yeah. Sun Sao obviously uh, takes the L that, uh, tomorrow night. But uh, looking forward to it. Tomorrow, I was supposed to be going to a regional MMA show up here in Ontario. But the goddamn government put the restrictions out. Omicron, Omarion, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, shutting shit down. For for the Raptors games, they have them down to 50% capacity. But, appa really? but apparently for this... Uh, for this MMA show, the venue just didn't want to do it. So they fucking just pulled the plug this morning. All the fighters made weight. You know, everything was looking good. And then they just pulled the, pulled the show. So uh, I won't be going to the MMA event tomorrow, but I still have a hotel booked in Niagara Falls. So I'm still going to the fucking hotel and I'm still going to have myself a good a good time. So I probably won't be watching the card live. Just going to go enjoy some Niagara Falls and uh, maybe link up with some of the guys down there that are there for the fights anyway and probably get fucked up. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> screw this uh, uh this covid thing and and uh you know robbing us of some more live face punching but it is what it is hopefully that they can bounce back shortly do we do we know are they going to be doing live events next year other than pay-per-views or or is it just back in vegas for another year do we know yet they already have something booked for ohio don't they like they have a fight night book for ohio they're talking about going to brazil in may um there's supposedly supposedly a, a show in london in march but who knows if this thing keeps yeah. spiking and uh if they start changing uh, uh everything but i think we'll see <clears throat> for the first six months or so i still think we'll see shows coming out of the apex man i think they're they're so lucky in the timing of building the apex too right like it they built it like a year or two before the fucking covid yep. hit and now they got a base the thing is, I'm ready to get out of the apex, man. Like, I need I need prospects that are favorites choking under the lights and under the crowd here. I don't need silent silent building where they can hear their quarters, you know? Oh, my God. Dude, I, I like that angle, man. That's a damn good <laughs> angle. One thing I'll say, though, it's, it's kind of shitty that a lot of guys are having these spectacular fights in front of almost nobody and they don't really get to you know yeah. uh rein themselves with the cheers and the, the and the crowd and all that the one fight that i was thinking about especially when taping this card was cdf against gillespie man imagine fucking the oh crowd going nuts for those reversals and everything man that would have been crazy I can't I can't wait to get back to shows. I can't wait to have like a more normal semblance of like big cage every week instead of me yeah. having to calculate, you know, <laughs> how big of a factor is the fucking cage having on the fight, you know? Yeah. But you know, who knows? If we keep it at Apex next year, maybe you and I can maybe I can convince the wife to let me go out to Vegas and meet up with you for one of these one of these cards. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. Shout out to my guy Matthew Rouch here saying uh Houston for Izzy and Rob. I believe that's gonna be in February as yeah. well. So as of right now, they're they're still going as business as normal with uh Florida, Arizona, 
and uh, I believe Texas and obviously Nevada as well. So we'll see how that plays out. All right. Uh, we're here to break down UFC Vegas 45. Very much looking forward to this card. Obviously, the last one of the year, uh, unless you want to be an MMA diehard and say Risen is the last card of the year. But, you know, do you. Uh, also, shout out to the guy that actually requested uh, that we put up Risen on the tape index. I ain't got time for that right now, dog. <laughs> like, I don't have any database on any of these fighters, and there's so many fights, so much uh, unknown. So, uh, uh, won't have the time to put that up. I apologize, but we already have four events up for the UFC, and I'm looking to put up that fifth one as well. So, uh, you guys will have a ton of UFC to chew on on the tape index. Unfortunately, no reason. I apologize. All right. First fight of the night, John. Let's get into this here. We got Matt Sales going up against Jordan Levitt. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 130 now for Jordan Levitt, plus 110 for Matt Sales. Uh, I put out a tweet that I didn't expect to get as much traffic as it did. I said that uh, God be with anybody that puts money on this Jordan Levitt fight. Uh, and uh, I, I was I was saying it more so from a from a money line perspective because I think it's a, a crapshoot in that aspect, right? Very binary fight to break down. You want Matt Sales to keep this fight on the feet, use his superior striking. Jordan Levitt, the monkey god, wants to drag this fight to the ground, whether it's an Imanari role or whatever the hell he tries to do, wants to drag this fight to the ground because that's where he's going to have success. No matter where these guys fight, though, if it's in that person's advantage, the striking or the grappling, uh, I think a, a finish is quite live here. Uh, I actually personally took a shot myself now. Uh, two units at minus 118, uh, or sorry, 1.2 units at mi minus 118 on the under two and a half here because I think sales can start this guy if he looks anywhere close to what he used to look like before his long layoff. I think he's been off for almost two years now. Apparently, he got up to 250 pounds and then came back down. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like on the scales uh, this morning. Uh, but if he looks anything near what he used to, he should be able to start uh, Jordan Levick here. I am not. Not a Jordan Levitt believer at all. Faded him last time with Poyas. Happy to cash on that. Uh, I'm expecting uh, to, to kind of fade him here with the under, hoping that he gets knocked out, but at least have that safety net in case he does get sales to the ground and he can wrap him up in a pretzel himself. So uh, violence is kind of my approach here. I'm thinking sales KO uh, or uh, Jordan Levitt sub. I believe the sales KO number wasn't that bad, actually. Sales KO plus 350, not too shabby, plus 400, depending on the places that you're looking at. Leave it by sub plus 180, as you'd expect, but the under two and a half around minus one. Well, it's up to minus 140, minus 150 now. I still don't mind that, man. I, both these guys combined, well, not even combined. Both of them, six out of their eight fights, finish inside the distance. I like it. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, uh, this first of all, let me just start with the saying. You called him the monkey god. The monkey god is Jared motherfucking Brooks, the goat who beat monkey Davis king, and right? The god. monkey king. Damn, do not compare god. Jordan Levitt to Jared not Brooks. Bad. No disrespect, <laughs> Jared Brooks. God damn. Um, yeah, this is kind of like right what I was saying in the beginning, right? Because in a big cage, I actually would not really like the under that much just because, you know, Levitt's going to do whatever he can to stay out of the pocket, you know, in this fight. <sighs> but in the small cage, he's going to kind of have to either, you know, engage him one way or another in the grappling or the striking. Uh, and with that in mind, I kind of do like the under a bit here. <clears throat> For me, I think the money line's more or less right. I'm not a Levitt guy at all, to be honest. Like, I've been actively looking to fade him left and right. But what you can say about him is he look, he knows he can't strike. He knows what he needs to do is go in there and attempt takedowns. Uh, like if this goes three rounds, I'd expect him to attempt 10 to 15 takedowns. Like he's not the kind of guy who's going to get discouraged and strike. He knows he's fucked if that happens. So I expect him to try to relentlessly get takedowns. And if he gets them, um, I think Matt Sales is tragically awful on the mat, to be honest. Look, I can't put too much stock in the Mitchell fight because the Mitchell fight, look, Mitchell's an excellent grappler. He's an That's just anomaly almost, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Fights. 
Yeah, and you know, I went on Magic Show last night, and he made like a decent point about it, where he was like, you know, no one really attempts twisters, so if you haven't really drilled that in the gym, it's kind of like a tricky thing to kind of try to deal with. But if so, if that was the only fight. I could see having, you know, maybe giving sales a break. The problem is I've seen his back taken by strikers regionally. I saw Kyle Nelson 10 8 him and almost finish him and back mount him. Um, Kyle Nelson is not much of a grappler, in my opinion. Oh, I um, know of Kyle Nelson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Canadian boy. Nelson, yeah. Uh, yeah, you um, fought on one of the shows I used to run, but yeah. Hilarious. Right. So it's like if Levitt gets takedowns, I do think he can dominate sales on the mat here unless sales has made improvements and he could have. But again, knowing that he had a major injury and he blew up like that, I don't know how much grappling he's really trained in that time off. So I do think if Levitt gets takedowns, he's got a pretty good shot to dominate this fight and win it. And because that's the case, you know, it's hard for me to not favor a guy who I know is going to relentlessly attempt takedowns and should have a big edge on the mat. But I do think Sales has pretty good first-level takedown defense, and I don't think Levitt's the best wrestler. And if Levitt does find himself trading in the pocket, things are going to go south in a hurry. Um, so I'm not really passionate about a money line, but I do like the under here. If you want to play Sales KO, I don't think that's bad. Um, but, yeah, I think the under is probably the best way to play it or doesn't go. Love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Dontel Mays versus Josh Parisi, and the slop fest continues Minus 185 on Dontel Mays, plus 170 or plus 160, I should say, on Josh Parisian. Pretty binary fight to break down, right? Dontel Mays, the more mobile fighter, likes to stick and move a little bit, can mix it up a little bit better than Josh Parisian. Parisian uh, likes to throw spinning wild shit at times, uh, kind of slowish, plods forward, uh, you know, just tries to bully his opponents in a sense right like with the striking just tries to be uh just imposing on his opponents but i don't think that Dontel Mays will get sucked into that i do think that we'll see you know even with uh, a smaller cager he should be able to stick and move pretty well even if he wants to i think he can uh, engage in the clinch and have some success there maybe even land a takedown or two to release away the judges on his side but uh i think the secret's out on josh parisian fights man bet the over one and a half bet the fight goes to the decision and you're probably going to get some decent value on it however we got the over one and a half at minus 200 which is hilarious for a heavyweight fight but that's how these guys fight man they don't really fight with that crazy urgency to try to get a knockout earlier in their fights uh so yeah, I, I like the fight goes to decision here, plus 105. Uh, and in terms of picking a side, man, I think Mays is the side here. It's very difficult to make a case for Josh Parisian, who, you know, came out of the contender series with a little bit of hype in a sense, right? I think he was chalked pretty pretty heavily in his first fight in the UFC. Uh, but now people are trying to are starting to see what he really is about, and he's really not that that good of a fighter, in my opinion. Dante Mays by decision plus 200. I'd want a better line there, honestly, just to be able to pull the trigger here. Uh, at the end of the day, both of these guys are below average heavyweights, and to pay minus 200 on a guy like Mays, you know, I'd rather take the prop than anything, yeah. but uh, the overs and the fight goes decision are probably the spots here prop-wise. What are you thinking? Yeah, you know, it's kind of, this is one of those fights where it's like before I taped it, I was like, oh my God, Dontel Mays is minus 200. Like, I'm definitely going to fade him. Parisian has good volume. But then you go and you watch Parisian fight, and it's like, Dude is so bad, man. Like he 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 just he stops punches with his face, which you know maybe you can get by with at like thirty five or forty five. You know if you're not fighting the highest level guys, heavyweight, it's not really something that can last. And that's kind of so. I don't like Dontel Mays as a fighter, but I do think he has some skills. My problem with Mays is it's just like I don't think he knows how to use those skills very well. Like every now and then, like he'll throw a jab or he'll do like a pull counter, and it's like, oh, that was pretty cool. But then it's like three other three or four minutes before he does anything that really like gets your attention. So, I mean, looking at this fight, I guess 
you know, May's decision and goes the distance seem okay. But like I said, you know, Parisian does stop punches with his face. And it's like, I know Mays hasn't classically been a huge hitter, but you're playing a dangerous game when you fight like Josh Parisian does at heavyweight, especially with a guy as big as Mays does. So it's like, I do think if you force me to make a play here, Parisian by decision, fight goes the distance would be the plays that are not Parisian by decision. Sorry. Mays by the decision. Fight goes Pump the distance. The breaks to John. Jesus. <laughs> I, I get it. Um, to be honest, if it was a better, if it was a more reliable fighter to do things than Dante Mays, I'd actually play the chalk because I do think he's much more skilled than Parisian is. The problem is it's the classic Dante Mays doesn't do a lot, and Parisian is a doer of things. So I like I can't really back a minus two hundred there with that being the dynamic. But yeah, I don't feel passionate about anything here. Like if you really want to DJ and play Mays' decision, but I, I have this feeling that Parisian's going to get put out cold in one of the next couple fights. Um, just it's impossible to fight that way at heavyweight and not get iced eventually. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Shout out to my guy Tajik Bay for the $5 donation there. There'll be so much more money to give to the community this week. I'm excited. Good luck. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of people saying they have utter confidence in this in this card. And uh, I kind of feel the same. I just don't feel uh, strongly enough about one specific play to make a Lachlan I play. So there's actually no Lachlan I play for this weekend. However, I have seven or eight bets that I'm going to be pulling the trigger on here that I'm looking forward to. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Macy Kiasson taking on Raquel Pennington. Plus 145 for Kiasson. Minus for Pennington. Uh, this is a featherweight fight, 145 pounds. Uh, Raquel Pennington, I believe, was supposed to fight. Uh, let me just pull this up real quick. She was supposed to fight somebody else. Uh, Julia Avila. Uh, Avila pulls out. Macy Kiasan comes in. Short notice nature. So obviously they're going to give Kiasan the benefit of the doubt and allow this fight to take place at 145 pounds. Uh, Kiasan obviously going through a little bit of her own shit, right? She's scheduled to fight yeah. Aspen Ladd a couple times here. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I know Aspen Ladd missed weight last time around. But the real reason the fight that I didn't actually happen was Kiasan didn't accept the the extra weight from uh, Lad and decided to turn the fight down. Uh, so interesting caveat in that fight. Uh, stylistically, how these go down, Kiasan, she's getting away a lot with just being physical, right? She's just a bigger yeah. girl against a lot of these women, and she's able to just impose that and bully these women around. The Shanna Young fight is like the perfect example of that, where she just muscles everything and just almost tires herself out bullying Shanna Young. But luckily for her, Shanna coming up a weight class, you know, much smaller, uh, not as good, obviously, and she didn't uh, fare well there. Uh, and then last time around against uh, Marion Renault, Renault put up a damn good fight for, you know, as wide as the, as the odds were that uh, I think the tide really start to turn after Kiasan broke her nose in the second round. I think it took like a minute into that fight or yeah. into that round where she ended up breaking her nose. And then you just see it pouring and leaking everywhere. Gotta feel like that affected her cardio. Gotta feel like that affected uh, what she was able to do after that as well. But Kiasan, her striking leaves a lot to be desired. Very wild. Very like again very ro not robotic but like you know it just it just doesn't look good right it's just like she's just trying to throw heat not with much technique and it seems like she's off balance at times when she's throwing her striking as or her strikes as well which leaves a lot to be desired there uh on the flip side well, Pennington uh, a veteran of the game I actually was wondering how old she was and for some reason I thought she was like 36 37 years old she's only 33 which is kind of a surprise considering how long she's been around the UFC yeah. uh but she's really rounding out her game pretty well 
right? Uh, a full MMA game, right? She's not like the greatest at anything. She's a decent boxer. She's decent in the clinch. She's good with takedowns. She can do some good work from on top as well. Whereas Kiasan, she needs to be the bully in the fight. And if she's not able to, more than likely she's going to succumb to her opponent. That's exactly what happened in the Lena Landsberg fight, right? She was a huge favorite going into that fight. And then after that first round where she was able to accrue about four minutes of control time, she ends up getting uh, controlled for about eight minutes over the next two rounds uh, because Landsberg was just beating her up in the clinch, dragging the fight to the ground and having success there. First round, a little bit iffy for me here uh, if I'm choosing the Pennington side, but I do think she's going to start to pull away if this becomes a war of attrition <coughs> in the second and third rounds. Uh, I'm liking Rocky here. I don't mind the money line on her. Obviously, a lot of money coming in on Kiasson. It pushed Rocky down from minus, I think, minus 230 to about yeah. minus 160 now. Uh, but in terms of a prop, uh, I'm liking uh, Pennington by decision at plus 115. Uh, I do think she'll grind out Kiasan over over 15 minutes here. She might drop the first round, so it could be a possible live betting opportunity if you guys are into that. But I do think that Pennington takes this uh, after a 15-minute fight. Um, how do you see this one going down? Yeah, I think this is a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, it's kind of a bummer because like, I liked Rocky. A good, like, Rocky was like minus 125 against Avila, and I liked that quite a bit. Um, and I actually liked Lad against Kiasan quite a bit, and that fell apart. Uh, with this fight, look, I mean, you kind of nailed it with Rocky. You know, she's not <clears> – I'd say she's like a B, a B minus B at everything. But, you know, that's very good. There's very few fighters that are that well-rounded. But she's not great at anything. Uh, you know, she is – I don't think Macy's very good at anything really except the clinch, to be honest. But I will say I didn't really like how Rocky looked in the clinch against Panny. I thought it was a pretty bad look. And it kind of – she looks like she's declining, if I'm being honest. I know she's 33, but, like, you look at the Renault fight. She looked pretty sketchy in that fight, too, until Renault gassed out. Um, so I think Renault's, I think Rocky's declining a bit, uh, and I do think Macy could give her issues in the clinch. Uh, on top of which, I do – worry a bit about this fight being at 45 you know macy's a big girl and she might carry her power a bit more there plus we've never really seen rocky fight at that weight class you know will she be as quick will her gas be the same i don't really know it's a question that i don't really want to have money on to find out answered you know but the other part of it this is though like even though macy is a natural 45er she might be bigger she might be able to win in the clinch rocky's so much more skilled than she is and it's like one of these fights where you know, Rocky's not the best wrestler, but if she ends up on Kiasan on top of her, like it's probably the round and maybe the fight, you know, if she ends up in that position. And so it's really, really tough for me to give, you know, I don't want to take Macy much of a chance. Obviously, she has a chance here, but for me to like get on board with a Macy bet, like I'd much rather be on Rocky. Um, in terms of props, honestly, this is kind of a hot take, but I kind of like doesn't go at like plus 190. I, I know Rocky doesn't finish anybody, but. Like I said, at 145, we don't know what Rocky's going to be like. We do know for a female, Macy hits quite hard. And I think the grappling difference between the two of them, if it hits the mat, is substantial. Like, I could see Rocky absolutely dominating her on the mat there and finishing her. Um, I'm not passionate about it, but I do think when I was looking at it, like, do I want to lay a minus number on Rocky decision? Like, not really. I think I'd rather have her money line at like minus 165, you know, if I was passionate about Rocky than betting the decision. Uh, I do think under is kind of an interesting stab here. Interesting. I, I wasn't expecting that take at all. I, I do think if there is a finish, it probably comes from the Kia Song side. Uh, you know, maybe she does have some power in those hands and uh, she could be able to find that chin of uh, of Pennington here. But I honestly, I see this playing out like a, a clinch battle. Like they're just trying to jockey for a position there. It would serve uh, Pennington best, in my opinion, to kind of break off get that space and get her yeah. boxing going. Um, so hopefully that's a, what ends up happening. I, I do like painting a decent amount here. 
but I'm not going to completely overlook uh, Macy Kiasson here. All I right. mean, Pennington is the far more skilled fighter, yes. if we're being honest. You know, like, that, Kiasson is just raw. Uh, Kiasson, yeah. in my opinion, is still raw, very green in a sense. Uh, but she can still shape herself out. She's she's 30 years old, which was a little bit of a surprise, right? Uh, but uh, I don't know why that she was being touted as being much younger when she came into the UFC and all that type <laughs> of stuff. She was like minus 600 in every fight when she came into the yeah, UFC. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then <laughs> everybody crazy. had to rip up their tickets against fucking Lena Landsberg, which was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, all right, Me let's too. move on to the next fight here. Uh, should be a fun one. We got Charles Jordan going up against Andre Ewell in in terms of uh, odds, we're looking at minus 185 for Jordan and plus 160 for Ewell. Um, yeah, Jordan opened up around minus two, 205, 220, and then some money coming in on Ewell to bring him back down here. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this fight. I actually like Andre Ewell a decent amount here. Uh, and that hurts for me to say against a, you know, a fellow Canadian and Charles Jordan, who you know I've been following for as long as I have. Uh, but there is just this hype tax that attached to the guy's name because he's exciting to watch, right? Uh, spinning shit, flying shit, you know, uh, always puts on a bit of a, a war with his opponents, isn't afraid to uh, engage in the in a firefight and trade in the pocket. Uh, but I don't think that that Andre Ulu is going to comply with that this time around. I do think that we'll see a similar fight to him where he's able to kind of just do that classic Andre Ewell thing. Jab from the outside. Use that long, crisp jab from the outside. His one-two down the middle is absolute money. And I do think that he can stick and move pretty well here to kind of just trickle his way to a 50-minute decision. And Jordan's really going to have to put his foot on the gas and try to, uh, you know, goat um, Ewell into some sort of a war here. But I just don't think that Ewell's going to... Um, comply here uh, i will say a little bit of a cardio worry for you in case he starts to slow down trying to keep up that pace and trying to stay away from the big bombs of jordan and then obviously we've seen jordan come back in the uh late in fights and fine finishes as well uh that's absolutely live for him here but i do like that you will by decision around plus 330 i think that has a decent enough chance of uh hitting here if he does remain disciplined and kind of fights the way that we know he can fight when he is successful and i feel like this is a perfect spot for him to do so so uh yeah, Jordan could possibly find the chin, could possibly knock him out at a certain point. But I think a lot of Jordan's success is predicated on finding the finish. Because if he goes to a decision, he's not really a great minute winner, right? Like unless yeah. he knocks his opponent down or he has tremendous success in that aspect, I think he was going to be the better minute winner. I think he's going to be the one kind of with the more output, the more effective output in a sense. And he should be able to get his way to a decision here. Um, I've heard takes on Ewell inside the distance. I kind of get it. But I just don't know if he's really going to push the gas here and uh, try to, you know, expose himself to potentially getting finished by a heavy hitter and unorthodox striker like Jordan. So I'm expecting a, a classic Ewell performance here, man. I took a shot on him at underdog odds, uh, plus 168. Uh, but I also took a little bit of a poke on his decision prop here at plus 330 because I think it's a damn good spot. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I like Ewell quite a bit. Like, you kind of nailed it with Jordan. Like, he's a fun fighter, but I think people kind of interpret fun as being like this super prospect and i don't really think that's the case he's obviously dynamic he hits hard he can finish guys but his game doesn't have a lot of process to it you know he's not a great defensive grappler not that that should matter here um he's not the best offensive grappler his volume can be pretty suspect at times you know you watch the he hasn't had a ton of similar matchups to this but the closest is probably the joshua Kulabau fight who's also yeah. a southpaw and you saw jordan really just until round three, when he managed to hurt Kulabau and Kulabau slowed down, <clears throat> you saw him get stuck on the outside and not really have any idea kind of how to close the distance. Uh, and now he's dealing with a guy in Andre Yule, who, in my opinion, is a much better version of what Kulabau brought to the table there. 
Uh, Buell is a very sharp boxer. He keeps this manages distance very, very well. He's got a seven inch or six inch reach advantage here, I think, too. And so for Jordan to close the distance, I think he's gonna have to, you know, really let his hands go and like throw in combination to get inside. But that's not classically that hasn't really been his game. You know, he goes for a lot of like really spectacular big stuff. I just don't know that he's going to have many opportunities to like set that up here. And if he gets stuck on the outside, you know, he's just going to get picked apart in my opinion. Uh, the other thing I think Jordan could do is go for calf kicks, but you know, you did a pretty good job early like, for the first 12 minutes, really avoiding the calf kicks of Chris Gutierrez, who's one of the better calf kickers, you know, in the world really. And, you know, eventually Gutierrez got off on them, but he's a much more proactive kicker than you, than uh, Jordan is. And so yeah, I look at this fight and yeah, you know, you mentioned it, the gas tank with Andre Yule is always kind of like the big red flag with him. But I don't know that, like, you look at the fights where he's gassed and they've been fought at hellish paces. Jordan doesn't historically fight at a hellish pace. And if he's just kind of stuck on the outside getting jabbed, I'm not really sure he's got, you know, the tools to gas Yule out. You know, Yule won round three against Jonathan Martinez with one hand. You know, it's not like he hasn't looked fresh in round threes in the past. Like, he gassed out against Marlon Vera, who brings an insane pace. Gutierrez, who was basically just destroying his legs at the end of that fight. Erwin Rivera, who he dominated, but who just wouldn't stop coming forward. Jordan, that's not really his game. So I'm kind of with you here. I do think you could give some credence maybe to a Yule knockout just because we have seen Charles rocked a good bit. But I, I do agree largely. I think the play here is the decision for Yule. Uh, I think, you know, the gas concerns are a bit overblown in this matchup. Um, yeah, look. If you like Charles Jordan, don't lay the minus 200. The under is about minus 100. I'd be very, very, very surprised if Jordan covers his price in a decision, to be honest. So I like Yule a good bit. I like Yule's decision here. Uh, I have heard the argument about like uh, Jordan kicking legs, and you kind of touched on that as well. Not as proactive, again, as, as other fighters who have been successful with it against Yule. Maybe it's something that Jordan picks up on for this fight and decides to attack it. And if that is the case, then then so be it, right? We, we can't guess that he's going to. Yeah, but he also might just get countered bad if he tries to do it because he throws a lot of those kicks naked and he's going to have to come inside Yule's reach to do it, to land them, you know, so. For sure, for sure. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out here to to Embe who uh, jumps into streams every now and then. Always thought it was a troll for some reason. Turns out she's a real person. I, I've seen her on somebody else's stream and it's actually some somebody that's real so shout out to mb uh and her commitment to being in the mma live uh live streaming community on youtube shout out to you and good luck on your bets this weekend all right let's move on to the next fight here uh i'm sure you have some passionate takes about this one we got sajara eubanks going up against melissa melissa gato in terms of odds we got minus 160 on eubanks plus 140 on melissa gato uh me and you seem to be pretty high on Eubanks in a sense, right? It's weird to say that about a fighter that's seven and six, but we see this every fight week. If I don't tweet it, somebody else tweets it. You know, Sajar Eubanks is the best six and six fighter in the world. Sajar <laughs> Eubanks is the best seven and six fighter in the world. It always happens, but it, it rings true, man, because she is damn good, especially when she's able to fight at 125 pounds. Now, if you include her run on the Ultimate Fighter, she's six and one as a flyweight. Obviously, she missed weight in one of those fights. I'm trying to recall which one it is. It's just uh, escaping me at this moment. But when a fight is scheduled for 125 pounds, she is six and one. Her only loss, I believe, was her second ever professional fight where she went up against Catlin Chikagian, who's already four and zero at that time. But Again, that really goes to show uh, that Eubanks, in my opinion, does, uh, needs to be at 125 pounds. Last time, obviously, she fought Elise Reed, uh, looked damn good on the skills. She looked, you know, damn good in the fight, obviously, being able to get the finish there. Uh, but 
I feel as though she's starting to master that cut to 125 pounds. I don't want to, you know, ride home about her or anything like that because <laughs> we have the weigh-ins coming in, coming up right now. I think they just kicked off, so I want to see what she looks like looks looks like on the scale personally first before I actually uh, pull the trigger here. But I'm damn close to pulling the trigger because again, this is another one where we, where we saw a ton of line movement, a ton of love coming in on Melissa Gato, and it's actually brought down Eubanks to around minus one sixty five, which is a line I very much like here. Uh, Gato was a little bit of an unknown coming into her UFC, UFC debut against Victoria Leonardo because she got signed to the UFC and then she got put on the shelf because she got tested positive uh by usada there but before that she was actually able to pick up a victory over carol hosa in a fight where hosa gets a takedown but leaves her arm a little bit exposed and then ends up getting kimura there uh so good one for gato to eventually earn that contract to get into the ufc then the victoria victoria leonardo fight so sorry um leonardo you know gets that top position but isn't really that safe from on top right she has all these submission attempts being thrown at her some reversal attempts and all that uh and we saw gato have some success in terms of you know intimidating her from when she is on top you know it, it's one of those rare cases where a fighter who has a top position isn't actually winning right that's what it seemed like there uh and then when they got back on the feet leonardo just seemed completely outgunned there as well got to really putting on the pace with the with aggression uh, with aggression i don't think she's the greatest striker by any means but i think that her uh mixture with aggression and just moving forward really got to victoria leonardo and then obviously we know how that fight ended up going uh in terms of getting called off after the second round uh Sajar eubanks again coming off a career best performance uh i do think she shines once again here i do think we see her successfully complete takedowns and then we've seen gato even in uh, regional fights she plays off of her back a little bit too much that sydney hocha fight oh, i don't know God. how that fight went to a draw man that, that there must have been some sort of tampering or some bullshit going on because in my opinion sydney hocha won that fight no ifs, ands, or buts. She won that fight. Um, but what we saw in that fight was Gato just playing off her back a little bit too much, trusting her jiu-jitsu a little bit too much. Now, this is going to be her toughest opponent in terms of somebody that actually has world-class jiu-jitsu as well with Sajar Eubanks. And I think that Eubanks will be safe enough to be able to ride her on top and kind of just controller lands some good damage maybe you know uh advanced positions getting quality top time on the feet could get a little bit sticky sajara isn't horrible on the feet but i do think the aggression of gato could potentially give her some issues gas tank issue that's always something that comes up in the star eubanks fight i feel like she's solved that in a sense uh especially when she's at 125 pounds uh, but we can't 100% say that until we see her go out there and do it again, uh, hopefully tomorrow night against uh, Melissa Gato here. So I, I like me some Eubanks. I like her at minus 160, but I even like her prop here at decision uh, via decision, which I currently believe is plus 150. Uh, Eubanks by decision, yeah, plus 150 or plus 160, depending on where you're looking at. I like that all, man. I, I, I like it all. I think this is a spot where people are a little bit too high on Gato, and then they're going to see when she actually goes up against a legitimate competitor She's going to follow up short. So I, I like uh, Eubanks here. Take her by decision. What are you liking here? Let me ask you something. If you, if I told you they were just going to strike for 15 minutes, would you favor Gato in that kind of a fight? Just based on her aggression, slightly, man. Just slightly. I know that Eubanks is a decent striker, but again, like if she keeps pushing her back, uh, I don't know. But Eubanks has decent enough technique on the feed that she could probably, probably thwart that forward aggression as well. Yeah, like that's kind of my thing because like I actually think I would look. I watched Eubanks completely gassed out, hang on the feet with Patty Kianzad, who's one of the best boxers in in all of WMA, and certainly at one thirty five weight class up. Like I'd be surprised if she gets bullied on the feet here. But even beyond that, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Look, the bottom line is even the gas tank stuff. I kind of think the market just holds the bench fighting against her for whatever reason, even though it was years ago. And by the way, like I know Betch Correa is like a walking cartoon character, but. 
the girl fought for a title, you know? It's not like Betch yeah. is out here losing the bums, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, that, that people get her a little too much shit for that. Uh, she's actually won 60% of the round threes she's been in in her career. And if you want to go to 125 and look at her career there, she hasn't lost a round there. You know, she dominated Lauren Murphy for three rounds at 125. She dominated Roxanne twice at 125. Uh, she dominated Deanna Bennett at 125. She dominated Elise Reed in her last fight there. You know, I think something people don't, I brought this up last night, but like Jessica Andrade, people used to say had bad gas when she was at 135. Why? Because it took a ton of energy for her to put use her game plan and get girls down at that at that weight class. Um, I think it's kind of the same thing here. Like anybody who's like ever been, you know, wrestled on a team and done practices or jujitsu with bigger guys, it is much more exhausting taking bigger people down than it is someone your own size, you know. Um, and I think I think that's the issue here with Eubanks. It has been for a career, and kind of you touched on it too. You know, it's not like she's like it's not like we've seen Eubanks go into like Hadolfo Vieira level of death gas where she's like giving up. She never quits. She'll bite down on the mouthpiece when she's gassed out and let her hands go. And so even if you were to assume, let's just say that she won't get a takedown in the last two rounds, she's probably gonna be in a close fight that I'd still favor her in. You know, I got those best path to victory here is a close decision. The other side of things, you nailed it. I mean, Cindy Roca held Melissa Gato down. Um, Hosa was holding her down no problem and just got armbarred. Look, so Yara Eubanks has literally won a gold medal at the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships in 2015. She is as good as it gets in Jiu-Jitsu. She's a very good wrestler. I think there's virtually no chance of her getting subbed from bottom. I, I think maybe if she was gassed out, but I really don't think so, man. You know, Avila is probably similar level of Jiu-Jitsu to Gato, and Eubanks had no trouble staying on top of her there for the last two rounds of that fight. Um, I think Eubanks gets takedowns pretty easily here if she wants them. I think she holds Gato down without really any problem at all. Uh, and like I said, I think on the feet, she's better as well. Like the way I look at it is for Gato to win this fight, it's probably a grimy close decision where Eubanks slows down and it's still maybe a split-like decision. Whereas Eubanks could win that kind of a fight. But I also think Eubanks has the vast majority of the finishing upside here, even though I don't expect to finish. And I think she has the vast majority of a like, dominant win upside too. Like if someone's going to come out here and win 30-27, I'm almost positive it's Sajara, you know? Um, yeah, so you're giving me an, an elite top, a girl with an elite top game against the guard player who attempts five to six takedowns for 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to go with Eubanks here. Like, like, don't forget, everybody and their brother was betting on Victoria Leonardo against Melissa Gatto in her last fight. Victoria Leonardo was not a UFC quality fighter. And honestly, I don't know what you thought rewatching that fight, but rewatching it and knowing Leonardo broke her arm in the first round, that was a competitive fight. Like, it was a very competitive fight. And now we have Sajari Eubanks at minus 160 against Melissa Gatto. Like, give me a fucking break here. I, I think Eubanks is going to smash her, to be honest. Um, I like the decision as well, though, because. Even though I do think in theory Eubanks could finish her, she's really never been that proactive about chasing a finish. You know, she's happy to just move to half guard and just kind of lock down the position there and hold people down. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of think her decision line should probably be about even money and it's plus 150. So I like that quite a bit here. Yeah, I'm right there with you as well. And again, in the Elise Reed fight, obviously she was able to get the finisher given the vast difference in skill there, uh, especially when the fight hit the ground. Yeah, and I did not bet Leonardo PayPal, just FYI. <laughs> I'm just saying, many people did. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got a heavyweight slugfest between Justin Taffa and Harry Hunsucker. In terms of odd, odds, minus 320 on Taffa, plus, one, plus 260, sorry, on uh, Harry Hunsucker. Uh, I was going to bring up this fight when we were talking about the Maze and Parisian fight, but I'm sure you watched the tape on Maze and Hunsucker, and goddamn, how hilarious of a fight was that. 
like a minute and a half of Hunsucker trying to get Dante Mays down and then just gasses himself out and gets finished. I think he was even tapping the strikes too, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But uh, Hunsucker in his seven fight professional MMA career, never seen the second round, which is absolutely hilarious. Or sorry, not even seven fights, uh, 11 fight career. I'm not sure why, why I said seven fights. Uh, 11 fight career, he has never seen the judges are uh, the second round at all uh usually goes out there and either just starches his opponents uh sometimes he'll try to look for the takedown try to just rain down blows from on top uh or he just gasses out trying to do so and then gets finished himself uh and i'm uh, thinking that no matter who gets their hand raised here it's more than likely going to be happening in the first round here we've seen justin toffa get starched in the past so him at minus 320 is absolutely laughable knowing that he can get knocked the fuck out and i think that hunter could, could absolutely do that uh, just based on what we've been seeing on social media, it seems like Hunsucker is really tightening up, right? Like the guy looks like he's trying to get into a little bit better shape. He was always a thick dude, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he weighs in uh, this morning, uh, considering he looks like he's in much better shape. But no matter how this fight goes, I expect it to finish inside the first round. Uh, whether it's Hunsucker looking for a takedown and then smashing from on top, or you know, tough catching him with a, the counter on the way in, he's probably the cleaner striker of the two. That's pretty much obvious but i think that both guys have that tremendous knockout power and given the variable of harry hunsucker that's the guy that's going to make this under one and a half or this fight doesn't go to round two hit i personally have a play on the under one and a half i took two units at minus 190 um and i'm uh, looking for pinnacle to drop the fight to not start round two uh and if they do drop that i'll more than likely be taking a poke on that as well i'm seeing around minus 125 minus 130 on certain markets i still think that's a damn good spot another prop Harry Hunsuk around 1 KO plus 1,000 worth the stab considering how much of a car crash I expect this fight to be. So, yeah, I like, uh, I actually think it's going to be Tafa that eventually finds a chin here, but I don't care who gets knocked out. It's got to happen in the first round. That's kind of what I'm banking on. And that's why I think that the, the prop should be skewed towards. It seems like you're in agreement. How do you feel about this one? I am in agreement with that. I think the under is nice here. I think all kinds of early round props are nice. But I got to tell you, I have this like this feeling in my bones that Hunsucker might be like the best value of the card. I I'm not saying I bet him. I haven't. It's just like, dude, Justin Toppa is really bad at MMA. Like that, yeah. like that, that's, you know, the reality is that like, you look at the two fights that have gotten extended with him. Um, Jared Vandera doesn't hit particularly hard. Neither does Carlos Felipe. Uh, and look, to degree, I don't think Tafa looked terrible in those fights because he showed a level of output we haven't seen from him before, and that was nice. But, I mean, Tafa seems, I don't know, he seems kind of fragile and panicky. Like, I don't think, I kind of get the feeling that when someone gets in his face, he's going to crumble. We saw in the second half of the Vandera fight, when Vandera started getting in his face, he didn't really like it. And look, I'll say this every time I break down a Tafa fight until he gets cut, but one of these days... People are going to understand why I max bet Juan Adams against him because he's going to end <laughs> up on the ground and he's going to look helpless because he is helpless on the mat. Like, I am telling you, if I – like, you know, Andrew and I always joke about, like, you know, we wish we could corner these fighters because I don't care what your wrestling background is. If you're fighting Justin Taffa, dive at his legs. The man is hilariously awful on the mat. And guess what? Harry Hunsucker attempts takedowns in the first round from time to time. You guys want a Lambo shot here? The plus 1800 sub one for Harry Hunsucker could Ooh. be a gift. Dude, I'm telling you, man. Like, if he hits a takedown here, it, there's literally a chance that it's like a 50-50 he subs him right away. Um, but with that said, look, the bottom line is I think we all know the Hunsucker deal. Hunsucker, you know, when he faces adversity, he tends to quit. He tends to gas out very quick. Uh, I like the under one and a half because, you know what? If I'm betting an under one and a half, I hate betting them. But, you know... 
what I want in it. I want to have at least one guy who's going to bite the mouthpiece and go for it. And that's Hunsucker's MO. It's what he does every fight. He's going to bite down and he's going to look to take your head off or die. He's completely kill or be killed. Um, I don't know. I have a feeling he's going to go in there and beat Justin Taffa, to be honest. Uh, I think that round one sub prop is worth taking a stab at. Um, yeah, I like Hunsucker here. I, he's probably going to die, let's be honest. But uh, honestly, I, I think there's a, he has a decent shot to get Taffa out of there. So war violence, I think, is the way to play this fight. Yeah, Hunsucker round one plus 700 is still leave, not even that bad considering how No, it's not bad. I, I, I'm I mean, right there with you, man. Would you? I mean, look at Justin Taffa's wins in his career, right? He's four and three. He has seven fights. Three of those wins are against Australian cans. And the fourth <laughs> is Juan Adams refusing to wrestle and just getting KO'd. You know, like that, that, yeah. that is that, that. I mean, this guy, this is not a UFC level talent. Okay. So you have two guys. One of them has double the experience and also is going to go for it. And he's plus 300 and plus 700 in round one. Like, you tell me. I, I, dude, I'm right there with you. That's why I'm betting the unders here, man. I yeah. might even throw in a little bit of a stab on a Hunsucker uh, round one or even a Hunsucker KO or sub, man. I think it's all live here uh, considering how bad Justin Tuff is. Again, we all know that Hunsucker sucks as well, but when you're putting him up against a guy like Justin Tuff, he actually has more tools to win this fight, which is yeah. absolutely hilarious, but is what it is. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next fight here. I believe we are at, nope, we're not at the main card yet. Next up, we got Hani Barcelos going up against Victor Henry. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus one third, uh, minus 345, sorry, for Barcelos and plus 285 to return on Victor Henry. Now, Victor Henry is not one of those short notice slouches that just jump. Not, he's not a Justin Janes type of guy coming into the UFC. He's He might actually find himself getting a win or two inside the UFC, uh, you know, get, given the kind of skill that he has. Uh, trained by Josh Barnett, uh, de you know, decent wrestling, decent top control, uh, a little herky-jerky with his uh, striking approach, uh, likes leg kick, uh, you know, if he's successful with it early, he'll try to lay on it, just as we saw in that Dennis uh, Levetrian fight, uh, absolutely butchering yeah. the guy's name is what it is, but in the in the rematch, we saw Dennis have success in terms of grounding Victor Henry and then having success from there. Um, we've seen Victor Henry get subbed in the past as well. Um, decent fighter. Uh, but again, I think he's going to be completely unmatched here by a guy like Hani Barcelos, who I've been very high on for a lot. I know he hit uh, a little bit of a speed bump in his last fight against Timur Valiev, uh, but that was one of those fights where I feel like he learned a very valuable lesson, which is you, you can't be gun shy. You got to throw some volume. He easily gave up round one by not throwing any volume, got easily out volume in that fight by Valiev. And then when he started throwing some punches in the second round, he lands on Valiev, knocks him down. Uh, I believe he got at least a 10 8 on one scorecard in that fight or in that round. I don't think it deserved a 10 8. I know he was close to finishing him, but considering the amount of success that uh, Valiev had earlier in that round, kind of nullifies the 10 8. And then in this uh, third round, Valiev pulls ahead a little bit more in terms of the output and then obviously gets a decision victory there. I'd be surprised if Barcelos doesn't pull a trigger here against Victor Henry, who's slightly more stationary than what we were getting for Valiev. And that probably played into uh, Barcelos not throwing as much because it was harder to track down a guy like Valiev. Um, but I think he should be able to do some work here against uh, uh, Victor Henry. I do think he's worth the minus 300, minus 350, to be honest, that he's currently at. I do have him parlayed with something else uh, later on this card. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised with the finish here from Barcelos. Um, I think the sub prop is a little 
uh, interesting here. I think it's currently sitting at uh, plus 455 for Barcelos by submission. We've seen, like I said, Victor Henry get subbed in the past quite often. I think Henry's going to be the, or sorry, I think uh, Barcelos is going to be the better wrestler, especially when they get into the scrambling positions as well. I think we'll see Barcelos end up on top. Uh, but I think ultimately I do see this fight going the full 50 minutes with some interesting uh, grappling exchanges. And I do think we see Barcelos get his hand raised here by decision at plus 160. I don't mind that play either. How are you seeing this one go down, brother? Yeah, um, so like I bet Barcellos in mind. I think FanDuel opened it like minus 290, so I took some of that there. Uh, I, I don't – my issue with props on a fight like this is like it's just kind of Barcellos' approach to fights, right? Like the guy is one of the best wrestlers like in bantamweight, and he, I mean he's one of the best fighters at bantamweight. The problem is he so rarely fights to his strengths, which is pretty frustrating, you know, when you're backing him. It's like, dude – the Saeed Nurmagomedov fight, it's like, why am I sweating this bet? Like, all you have to do is <laughs> take him down. And then you see in yeah. round three, he takes him down and dominates him there. And it's like, what? why did this take you 10 minutes to actually decide, you know, fight to your strengths? Um, you see it with him over and over again, which is frustrating. The Taha fight, you know, he let he decided to go to war with Taha for 10 of the 15 minutes in that fight. And it's like, why, why are you doing this? Like, I appreciate you're more skilled, but you have a way to take no damage here, which is just take him down and hold him there. Yeah. Um, and, like, I do think... If Barcello's decided, okay, I'm going to sub this guy, I actually think that could look like massive value, his subline. But like I said, you know, he tends to like let the fight kind of come to him and not really ever want to put like a, a stamp on it. The thing is, in terms of the matchup itself, I, I think Henry's cool. <clears throat> I think it would have been fun <clears throat> if they gave Henry someone a bit more low level who was going to come out there and go to war with him, you know. Um, but that that's not what he's walking into here and unfortunately you know he's got a nice kick game but in the boxing range he's just massively outclassed and in the grappling he's also massively outclassed here so unless you know look the valia fight's a concern but valia's a stud man like this is not two more valia that he's fighting yeah. um unless he just lets henry kick him from the outside i don't really see many paths to victory for Henry outside of like naming some kind of a finish. But Parcello seems super durable, man. I mean, you watch that fight with Kurt Holopaw, the dude was eating shots on the chin with like zero problem. So I think, you know, if Barcellos wants to wrestle him, he could look minus a thousand here. He's a much, much better grappler, but even on the feet, I don't think Henry provides many issues to him. Um, I don't mind a sub stab, but personally, I just think because of the way Barcellos fights, I'd rather have decision. I, I like the plus plus one fifty. Um, But again, you know, I actually don't, you know, I'm not the guy that usually advocates parlays, but I actually don't think Barcellos is a bad parlay spot, to be honest with you. Yeah, even seeing you take a stab at minus 290 straight up on a play is uh, interesting to see. Uh, uh, but again, if you see value on it, you see value. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I believe this is now the prelim headliner, and I really don't understand it considering how many fights are under it that I deserve believe deserve to be a prelim headliner more. So, but we got Gerald Mirshar taking on Dustin Stoltzfus. Uh, both these guys are scheduled to fight other fighters. I believe Gerald Mirshar was supposed to welcome Abusipan uh, Magomedov, a uh, former PFL fighter. I think he was supposed to welcome him. And then obviously uh, Dustin Stoltzfus, uh, I believe he was supposed to fight... Uh, let me just pull this up right here. He's supposed to fight Cal uh, uh the guy from uh, the Contender Series. Uh, he's also supposed to fight uh, Anthony Hernandez as well. So this is actually going to be the third opponent that Dustin Solskjaer is uh, preparing himself for. Uh, in terms of odds, uh, minus 230-ish here for Gerald Mirchard, plus 190 for Dustin Solskjaer. Um I get it. GM3 is the better fighter of the two, but seeing him more often not get pounded on in his fights before he eventually finds the finish, uh, 
is a little bit concerning for me, especially a, a minus 230 here. Now, obviously, Rodolfo Vieira having as much striking success as he did against Dustin Solskjaer is a big red flag. And not to mention being able to, uh, you know, or sorry, Rodolfo Vieira out cardioing Dustin Solskjaer, it seemed. And eventually, again, that third round submission was hilarious. So, yeah, those are big red flags. And I completely understand why you would not want to back him, especially in this spot against GM3. GM3, slow, uh, very hittable, but damn good on the ground. Is very versatile with the amount of submissions that he's going to be able to attempt. And I think he could do that here against Dustin Stolzfus in terms of he might get lit up a little bit early in this fight, but I think that the longer it goes, will seem successful in terms of imposing his size. Dude is a huge 185er, and I do think that he'll be able to drag Stolzfus down eventually and then start putting that jiu-jitsu to use and potentially uh, finding a submission here. Uh, third round prop, obviously live here for GM3. He's had a couple late finishes, obviously. Dustin Stoltz was, like I said, getting out cardio by Rodolfo Vieira, not a good look. Uh, but yeah, GM3 inside the distance, not a bad look here either at even money. I would much rather take that than take the minus 230 on uh, Gerald Mearshart here. Uh, yeah, plus 100 for Mearshart inside the distance. And in terms of Mearshart, round three plus 850. Again, I like I like those four-digit plus numbers for round three props, and that's not really uh, tickling my fancy enough here. Personally, I'm passing on it. I know a lot of people that are high on Gerald in this spot, and I completely understand it. But for some reason, I don't know why, and I know this is a completely different stylistic matchup, but I just see Nicholas Stolstey and Jared Gooden playing in my head in terms of Stolstey was like a <laughs> minus 230 favorite in that fight, minus 250 favorite in that fight. And everybody just kind of accepted like, yeah, he's probably going to beat Jared Gooden. Let's just chuck him into a parlay or let's just play him uh, as an afterthought. And then what do we get? Jared Gooden just absolutely starching him within a minute. That could happen here. You know what I mean? Dustin Stolzfus, again, I'm still trying to figure out what he's really good at, but he's definitely the faster of the two, and he could possibly land a, a good enough strike here to put Judd Mearshart on wobbly legs, who's been on wobbly legs in almost every single one of his fucking fights. So I'm not sure how you can trust him at minus 230, but the inside the distance uh, around even money is not too bad of a spot. So uh, that's the way I'd go. Mearshart inside the distance, even money. That's the only prop I really like here. What about you? Yeah, Gerald Mearshart fights are like WWE fights, right? Like, you never really know. They're always back and forth. Like, someone's mounting him. He's sweeping them. Crazy stuff is happening. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is. It doesn't matter if they're really good, and it doesn't matter if they're really bad. And that's kind of like my thing with GM3, right? Like, I feel like on any given day, GM3 can hang with pretty much anybody in the division, at least on moments. He'll have big moments against virtually anybody. Like, you look at the Hermanson fight. He gets finished there, but not before he sweeps him out of mount, you know, from the first, you know? Yeah. Um, but also GM3 is the kind of guy that can go life and death with someone who's not in the top 40. So it, it, it's like, I do think skill-wise, the line is probably short. Like Mearshart has the tools to cover this number. Will he? I don't really know. I don't trust him because he does put himself in so many really uncomfortable and awkward situations, you know? Um, it's a weird fight, to be honest. Uh, you know, even like... I, I guess if I were betting it, it would be Gerald ITD. But my problem is, like, the Stoltzfus Vieira fight, man. Like, he, like you mentioned, it Stoltzfus let Vieira just out jab him. He pretty much refused to engage in that fight. You know, I honestly felt, felt like I bet Stoltzfus the fight, and I felt like if at any point he actually put his hands together for an extended combination, he could have gotten Vieira out of there. But he just didn't seem to want any of it. Now, maybe that's Vieira and Vieira's level of jiu-jitsu, so he doesn't won't do that here. But it's hard to unsee that in my brain, him just avoiding the fight. And, like, we've seen a kind of similar fight to that with GM3 before, the Anders fight, where it was like neither guy really engaged in the grappling, and GM3 kind of just accepted it and was accepting jabbing with him, you know? Uh, and so playing, like, any kind of violent stuff here does make me a bit on the nervous side. 
Um, but with that said, you know, I don't think Stoltzfus is a UFC quality fighter at all. And GM3 is an elite finisher. So it's like, if you're going to play a prop here, I think the best way to do it is to play GM3 inside the distance at plus 100. Um, but I'm not passionate about it because, because like, I don't know, GM3 basically is variance incarnate, you know, like I don't really, you know, you never know what's going to happen in his fights. Um, I get why people see value on him. Like I said, I think he has the tools to make this line look very, very short in hindsight. But I don't really trust it. But, yeah, uh, if I'm picking a prop, I'm going to say GM3 inside the distance. It's interesting that the over 1.5 is at minus 165 and the under 2.5 is at minus 130. That's kind of how I see it playing out, too. I think it goes over 1.5, but we eventually get that GM3 finish at some yeah. point, late second round, early third round. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind that over 1.5 either in the spot. But, again, I'm passing on this fight in total. I, I want nothing to do with it. It's going to look yeah. ugly at a certain point. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I believe we are on the main card now. Uh, just a reminder, 4 p.m. Eastern prelim start time, 7 p.m. Eastern main card start time. So slightly earlier than we're used to, which is great. Uh, and uh, yeah, again, I'm not going to be watching this shit live, so I don't really give a shit, but just trying to help you viewers out where I'm going to be watching it live. All right, first fight on the main card. Darren Elkins going up against Cub Swanson. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 190-ish for Cub Swanson and plus 170, plus 165 the return here on Darren Elkins. It's always great watching those Darren Elkins comeback victories, right? Obviously, last time around against Derek Minner where he was able to uh, survive early. Derek Minner, you know, giving us that classic James Gross, no Derek moment. I love it. Trying to pull guillotine in that second round and then falling off. And obviously, Darren Elkins was able to take over from there. I just don't know if he'll be able to do that here to, to Cub Swanson. The, the the skill difference in terms of the striking is so far apart. Yeah, Darren Elkins moves forward. And yeah, he has a hell of a chin on him. But Cub Swanson, man, when he's on, especially with the striking, he is going to make his opponent's uh, uh, suffer. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here with Darren Elkins. I don't mind uh, Cub Swanson by KO. I think that's very live in this situation. I do think he's going to catch uh, Darren Elkins with pretty much any and everything that he throws here. Uh, plus 250 on Swanson by KO is a damn good line, in my opinion, considering how much of a uh, uh, a difference we'll see here in that skill set. If this fight does get dragged to the ground, obviously we've seen Cub Swanson get strangled in the past. You know, we've had to question his black belt in the past as well. But I think here against Darren Elkins, it's just, it's Darren Elkins, when he has success, it's, a lot of it is cardio-based, right? It's a lot of just grinding out his opponents and just waiting for them to, to kind of tire out. And I just don't know if Swanson really has that that big death gas in him that a lot of these other fighters have had where Darren Elkins has had success. The Mursad Bektik fight and obviously the Darren, Derek Minner fight, the most notable ones. Uh, but I think that Swanson has enough juice to go 50 minutes if he's required to do so. I just don't think he's going to be required to do so here. I like Swanson, probably first or second round KO. I think he starches uh, Darren Elkins pretty easily here. Yeah, uh, uh, last thing I'll say. Age argument. Every everybody always uh, everybody always wants to bring that up. Swanson just turned 38 last month. Darren Elkins is going to be 38 in May. So I think it's a bit of a wash in terms of throwing that into the argument here. Alex Swanson, Swanson by KO plus 250. Where are you at here? Yeah, uh, I think you nailed it. Like I saw um, Gugabe post earlier that he'd rather have Swanson by KO than uh, Swanson money line, and I think that's right. Like. Elkins is my boy. Like I've backed him forever. I was huge on him against Garagori. I bet him against Landwehr. I bet him against Minner. But he is atrophying pretty quickly. And look, I know the guy has always taken a lot of damage and always bled. Like that. That's not really what's concerning to me. What's concerning to me is his reactions to shots are getting a lot worse. Like 
I was big on him against Garagori. Like I said, like I did not think that should have been a competitive fight. And Garagori hurt him bad in the second round of that fight. And Eduardo Garagori does not hit nearly as hard as Cub Swanson or nearly as technical as he is. As accurate. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, if like if Cub's gonna win this fight and cover his price, it means he's going to tee off on Elkins bad here. Uh, and I kind of think. I kind of think when it ends for Elkins, it's going to end really ugly, and this could be the start of it. Uh, my thing is, look, is there a path for Elkins? <laughs> yeah, there is. It probably means nonstop pressure, getting off a good amount of volume, and landing three or four takedowns. Could that happen? Yeah, but I do think Swanson's defense gets underrated from that Edgar fight, which was way back in the day, and no one's really done that to him since. You know, Pineda took him down, couldn't control him there. No one's really been able to control him on the mat since the Edgar fight. Uh, I don't expect Elkins to be able to hear. I think Cub's going to get off at will. Um, yeah, I like the Cub KO here. I love Elkins. I don't want to see him go out viciously, but I have a feeling it's going to happen, and you're giving me three to one on a super technical striker who hits hard against Darren Elkins, who can keep the fight standing. I got to take it. I like it. I like it. Glad we're on the same page there. Personally, uh, I, I could see this going 50 minutes. If that Elkins chin just does not crack, I don't mind having the money line here yeah. on Swanson. I actually ended up parlaying him with uh, Barcelos. That's the parlay that I had here. I got them together at minus 102. Uh, I thought that was a damn good price to get on both of those guys as well. So, um, but yeah, glad we're on the same side there. All right, let's move on to the next right here. Uh, Carlos Diego Fajera going up against Matausch Gamrod. I'm trying to channel into my inner John Anik there with this uh, this Polish name that we got here. Uh, minus 185 for Gamrod, plus 160 for Diego Fajera. Uh, Gamrod, you know, really stringing some wins together after falling short in his UFC debut against Gurum Kutitaladze. Uh, a lot of people thought he deserved to win that fight. If you actually look at MMA decisions, most media scored that fight for Kutitaladze. Uh, it was actually the fans and the public that actually scored, uh, I, I believe it was rounds one and two, if I'm not mistaken, or one and three for Gamrot. And that's kind of what I agree with too. I thought Gamrot did enough in terms of landing takedowns and getting some top pressure and top control uh, to be able to get that, that, uh, that judge's decision obviously in his next two uh, fights didn't need to worry too much about the judges because he's able to dispatch uh both of uh jeremy stevens by kimura a minute and five seconds into that first round and then obviously starts his call holtzman with a beautiful one two uh in that second round uh stifling him there i've been a big guy on diego fajera in the past i was a huge believer of fortis uh of fajera you know backed him a couple times matched to cash obviously uh fell short against benny Darius. uh i didn't have the balls to bet against gregory gillespie and thankfully i didn't and we saw uh carlos diego fajera miss weight pretty bad in that fight and then obviously gassed out in that second round so i'm very interested to see what he looks like on the scales uh this morning if he actually hits the scale um I wanted to bet Fajera here, but I can't do it, man. I, I do like Gamrod here. I do think he's kind of on the upside here. I do think that Fajera is slowly starting to slow down. But again, losses to Gregor Gillespie and uh, and Benio Darius are not bad losses. Obviously, those, those are spots that uh, we have to respect. But the way that he's losing those fights was a little bit concerning to me in terms of uh, the Benio Darius fight specifically in terms of getting taken down. Uh, you know, the chain wrestling really seems to be the main thing that gets to Carlos Diego Fajera. He can shuck off a take on temper too but it's if you're able to kind of chain them together and that's the progression i think that we're seeing from gamrot now is uh earlier in his career he's just throwing one takedown out there if it's not successful he kind of backs off goes back to his striking but his last two fights you see the chain wrestling kind of getting better and better his work down there at att is really paying off for him and i think that we're going to see here against fajera fajera when he's on 
constant forward pressure. It doesn't let you breathe. Uh, you know, a little bit wild striking, but it's just to allow that that aggressiveness to kind of uh, 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 be as advantageous as it is as possible. If you want to see Diego Ferreira at his best, watch the Mirabek Tysonov fight. But I just don't think he's that fighter anymore. I, I think that that fighter is gone, and I think that Gamrod is on a completely different traje trajectory here. I think Gamrod is a slicker striker, may get behind slightly on output, which is a little bit of concern. Uh, but I do think he'll be able to mix in some takedowns here and get some decent top pressure. I know he wasn't having crazy amount of success in terms of her holding Gurum down because Gurum was throwing up submissions time and time again. But I think that if Diego tries to do that here as well, uh, he will probably start to slow down and we'll see Gamrot start to take over here. I like Gamrot. I like Gamrot by decision as well. Uh, I do think that he'll mix in his striking and takedowns well enough here to get the judge's decision here. Gamrot by decision, plus 145. Count me in. I feel like we're going to clash heads here a little bit. Hit me with yeah, it. I feel like I'm on an island here. You <laughs> add you to the list of a number of sharp people I know who like who like Gamrot in this spot. Um, look, I I think Gamrot's game is interesting. Obviously, anybody who can wrestle at the level he can wrestle at is an intriguing prospect. He's obviously quite a good boxer. I don't think he's the best control grappler personally, uh, and I've had some people disagree with me on that. But that's my my read of the situation. I'm also not entirely sold. He's going to look to grapple Fajeda aggressively. I mean, we saw Gregor do it, and like I think Gregor's top top ability is considerably better than Gamrot's is. Yeah. And even he got put in some really really dangerous positions early in that fight. Um, so I'm not really sure Gamrot's going to come out here at least while they're fresh and look to take Ferreira down over and over again. Um, even if he does, though, I, I do think there are some spots where Ferreira can have success. You know, Gamrot's wrestling is excellent, but he does shoot that low single real low, and he is begging for one of these days to miss that and someone just spin to the back and take it. And, like, this is not the guy you want to do that. I'm not saying it'll happen because he is out quite good at it, but I don't know. I'd be a little surprised if he controls. Like, the only two guys to really control Ferreira for, like, extended periods were Gregor and Benil Dariush. And even the Dariush fight, you know, now I don't. I thought the split was crazy. I thought it was clear Dariush, but it yeah. was a grueling fight, and it was fairly. It, it was it ended up being a fairly close fight. You know, he got him down and got six minutes of control, but you know we kept seeing Ferreira work up and then go forward. And I don't know one how Gamrot's going to deal with that. Number two, I think he is the more technical boxer, but I actually think Ferreira hits a good deal harder than he does. And you know until. We haven't really seen somebody kind of pressure Gamrot the way Ferreira is going to on the feet. You know, he's going to go forward until he either runs out of gas or someone dies there. Um, I just kind of trust Ferreira a bit more. Like what he did to Taysomov, and then in particular the Kabilov fight, because while I rate Gamrot's game <clears throat> a bit more than Rustam Kabilov's, especially on the feet, I think they're probably similar as wrestlers, and Kabilov couldn't control him. And so I don't know how Gamrot's going to react to that adversity of someone coming forward and pumping the kind of output that Ferreira is going to here. Um, I'm not huge on him because I do think, you know, it is one of those fights, like you mentioned, I do think Ferreira's on the downslope, and I do think Gamrot's on the upslope. And it could be one of these fights where we watch it and Gamrot just 30-27s him and just looks like the superior fighter at this point. It wouldn't shock me. But I did take a small, small poke at Ferreira just because the guy's fought so much better competition. He's more proven. I know he brings a good minute-winning style to the table where he's going to go forward. And I think he's live in scrambles to get dominant positions. And so with that being the case, it's really hard for me to think that he should be like a sizable dog here. Uh, on top of which, it's just like I get the cardio concerns, except like rewatch the Benny and Gregor fights. The pace of those fights, especially the yeah. Gregor fight, was 
yeah, I don't think the cardio thing is a, is is a valid argument here. I do think he has decent cardio, but I do think that it's going to come down to a full MMA game, and I think that Gamrod is just better at implementing it, or will be better at implementing it. And this will be a bit of his coming out party against a legitimate opponent, not a over the hill Jamie yeah. Stevens or a Scott Holtzman that you know we don't even know what the fuck he is anymore, right? Well, and that's kind of like my big question, right? Because like all the stuff I see on tape from Gamrod looks like sexy as fuck, to be honest. Yeah. Like it looks real nice. He looks like a super talented prospect it's really like you know right now his best win to date is probably against the 145 or jeremy stevens or norman park it's like is he going to be able to implement that game plan against carlos diego ferreira i'm not that convinced i mean i shouldn't say i'm not convinced like i wouldn't make ferreira a big favorite but i do think this line should be around evens personally uh in terms of props something i think is pretty interesting is ferreira inside the distance like his style of fighting he's a consummate finisher who is going to push a pace uh both on the feet and on the ground and so like if Ferreira is winning this fight, I think there's a reasonable chance he finishes. So plus 500 seems a good bit wide to me. Uh, I like Ferreira to win inside the distance here. Uh, I like a small, I like a small poke on him on the money line as well. I like it. I like it. I, I'm glad that you're, you're taking the fight hit aside here. I did want to make some. I uh, did want to see somebody make a legitimate argue for him because I wanted to. Again, I'm a big yeah. Fortis Fayetta guy, but I just couldn't do it for this specific one. Uh, I, I actually might have a bet against him as well if uh, if I actually pull the trigger here. I mean, honestly, if Gamrot walks through Ferreira, my opinion of him is going to go from like top fifteen guy to probably top five guy. Like oh. I, I, I think it would be yeah. A, that's my question is can he make this work against the physical athlete like for you know yeah hands down though toughest test of his career easily yeah. toughest test of his career maybe if we got fajera two or three years ago it might have been even tougher but uh we'll see how it plays out here all right let's move on to the next fight another somewhat passing of the torch kind of fight uh staying on that type of theme uh we got uh Rafael Asuncio, uh i believe at a ripe age of 38 years old taking on uh ricky simone uh who's really seeming to come into his own uh actually uh since I was 39 years old, let me correct myself, uh, really getting up there in age. Uh, but the guy just hasn't really been that active as of late, right? If I'm not mistaken, since 2014 yeah. or 2015, he's only had eight fights. Uh, you know, it seems like a lot. But again, uh, when you're used to fighters fighting two to three times a year, uh, eight times in the last six years is not that often. Uh, obviously, he has a bit of a year and a half layoff here against a guy um, uh, last time around where he went up against Cody Garbrandt. Uh, Close-ish fight. We saw, obviously, Cody have success in that first round. The Sunsaw really started to get back into the game in the second round. But then we obviously know that uh, Cody Garbrandt found something under the cage and swung it at him and, and knocked him out. Uh, by the way, I love Brendan Fitzgerald. My favorite. One of my one of my favorite non-John Anik guys, right? But when he when Cody Garbrandt fought that last time, was it, wait, was it Cody Garbrandt? I forgot who it was. But whenever Cody fought last time, was that that was this past weekend? Yeah, duh. yeah, yeah. That was this past weekend. So yeah, it was Anik and those guys. I forgot who it was, but they always say, "Oh, he's looking for something back there." He's uh, every time he's up inside the cage, he's looking for something. Oh no, sorry, it was the. Uh, yeah, it was Brendan Fitzgerald, uh, Cody Garbrandt against Rob Font. That was oh, that's right. Oh, God. Anytime he was up against the cage, he's just like, he's looking for something back there. Is he going to find something? Shut up. It was one time. I love you, Fitzy, but let's drop it now. Anyways, uh, in regards to this fight, uh, I think this is a great spot for Simone to come out there and get a win over a, a solid veteran in Rafael Sunsau. When I saw the odds, I was like, 
okay, maybe Hassan Sao's live here, right? But the guy's slowing down, man. The guy is, is really starting to slow down. Uh, still quite durable. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll make that uh, Cody Garbrandt knockout a little bit of an anomaly considering, like, the, the, the nature of it. You know what I mean? Like, it was such a weird scenario how it went down. Uh, so I do think he can still take a punch here. But I do think that Simone's speed, uh, his ability to mix it up, I do think he'll be able to land a takedown or two here to kind of sway the rounds. Uh, but rather than pay that minus 275, I actually took the decision prop here. I got it in around plus 115 uh for for a unit stab here i do think that he's a, a, the obvious side but i'd be surprised if he actually gets uh a sun Sao out of there i do think that we'll see him play the the a full game he might get behind on strikes a little bit as i do think that our sun Sao is a little bit more complete of a striker but i do think that the obvious takedown attempts that are going to be incoming will allow simone to kind of open up the rest of his game a little bit better so i do like uh simone here would rather play the decision prop than actually play the money line here uh and that's exactly what i did uh, yeah, not sure how much more I can really break down this fight. As Sun Sao is dangerous, but I do just do think he's uh, too far over the hill at this point in time to uh, deal with the uh, ups and upstart like uh, Ricky Simone, who has as much potential as he does. So Simone, Simone by decision. What about you? Uh, this is such a hard fight for me because on the one hand, like I love Ricky. He's like one of like I love backing Ricky because I think he's perpetually underrated. Uh, but now, because he brings a kind of style, you know, you love to bet on. You know, a lot of output on the feet, a lot of heavy turn attempts, a ton of takedowns, just a great minute winner. But now, like, I don't know, a couple years ago, this line probably would have been evens or a Sun Sao a favorite, to be honest. And now we have Ricky Simone at minus 275. Um, maybe it's justified just because of Sun Sao's age. But I don't know, man. Like, I'm sitting here and just like, I don't, unless the Sun Sao is really just dust and finished, I really don't see him just getting mauled by Simone. Like, it, it, who has ever done that to a Sun Sao? No one really. And it's not like, you know, he fought Brian Caraway, he fought TJ Dillashaw. It's not like he hasn't fought guys who've tried to wrestle him, you know? And on the feet, you know, we've seen him fight better volume strikers than Ricky Simone and completely like neuter them. Like we saw Rob Font, him basically hold Font to 20 strikes in three rounds. And so I'm so torn because at 39, it's like this price could end up being short on the Simone side. If he's just done and he just walks through a Sun Sao. But on the other hand, if he's not done, it could just be a case where a Sun Sao, you know, wins cruises to a 30, 27 decision. Um, so like, I'm tempted to take the shot on a Sun Sao. I haven't, I don't know. I haven't done it just because, like, it is a lot. He looked did not look good against Garbrandt. I didn't think he looked great against Corey Sanhagen, to be completely honest, either, the fight before that. So I, I, I do think he is aging out, but I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Uh, in terms of props, I like goes the distance, to be honest. Um, I don't really – I think most of the finishing equity is on uh, the Sun South side, to be honest. So, like, if you want to play a no-score cards of plus money, I think that's pretty nice, to be honest, for a Sun South. But I'd be a little like it's not like a Sun Sao reacts badly to shots. You know, we haven't been seeing that. He got killed by an absolute nuke against Garbrandt. Yeah. Uh, I'd be I don't think some I know Simone's not subbing him and I'd be a little surprised to see Simone KO him here. So I do think if you like Simone, play Simone by decision or play go the distance. Um, I kind of lead a Sun Sao on the money line. It might be a terrible take. I, I, it's really just hard to know where he's at, you know. But yeah, I like goes the distance. I like Simone by decision. I like a Sun Sound no scorecards. 
Uh, I'm glad MBA brought this up because I wanted to bring it up myself. Has a sense of out anybody who has cardio and constantly goes for takedowns. The last guy that I can remember, Matthew Lopez, but no cardio, right? Lopez was able to land a takedown on him, but then after that seemed to guess. That was the downfall of Lopez's career, obviously, not being able to maintain a pace. But like outside of that, who else was there, right? Alvin Sterling, Caraway, yeah, exactly. But like recently, within his last five to six fights, nobody, right? No, not recently. Yeah, yeah. So, and even like even Sterling isn't on the level in terms of wrestling that that Simone is on. Yeah, so we can say this is easily the best wrestler that he's fought yeah. in the last five, six, seven years. So, uh, yeah, another uh, interesting aspect of that fight. All right. Uh, but yeah, I do like the fight goes to the decision as well. I see that hanging around minus 165 at certain spots. Both guys quite durable. Again, Simone getting knocked out by Faber a couple fights ago. Again, I think that's one of those his chin just didn't Random. show up that night, but yeah. he's quite uh, he's quite durable in his own right. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Amanda Lemos going up against Angela Hill, minus 300 on Lemos and plus 250 on Angela Hill. Uh, another fight sticking with that trend of possible passing of the torch in a sense, right? Not saying Angela Hill is anything great, but she's been a veteran she's been around the game for a long time and now lemos is the new shit on the block that really uh, a lot of people are going towards which is actually hilarious because lemos is 34 years old right she, she doesn't yeah. have much time she may be considered a prospect but she doesn't have too much time in terms of really uh extracting as much success as she can out of her prime while she's in it uh but i feel like this is one of those spots where we, we, we could see her uh, uh, her potential on full display. Now, I was trying to find a reason about Angela Hill here. You know, movement, output, that's kind of what she does best. But the fact that she was kind of losing those those minutes and those rounds to uh, Tisha Torres in a fight that I thought she probably should have been able to win, you know, sticking on the outside, sticking and moving, uh, she was getting beat to the punch. She was uh, getting out work. She was getting out volumed. And uh, Tisha Torres did a really good job in that fight. I think Lemos... Might not be able to match the output here, but I think the damage is going to be the stuff that that uh, really sways the judges into her favor, especially if she's not able to get a finish here. Uh, I do think it will be a little bit more difficult for Lemos to find the finish, uh, considering you know the, the movement and and kind of the footwork of Angela Hill. Uh, I don't think she really keeps herself in a position to get hit hard enough or cleanly enough for her opponents to actually get uh, put out. But again, she could potentially be on a on a decline of her own, and Lemos could really actually uh, find that big blow at a certain point here. Um, I'd be interested to see if Lemos decides to take this fight to the ground and use her jujitsu, but that doesn't really seem to be her uh, path to victory in the vast majority of her fights. She wants to go out. She wants to lay her paws on you and try to put you out, but I don't think she's going to be able to get the finisher. I do actually like her, uh, like this fight to go the distance, honestly. Um, I'm seeing Lemos by decision currently sitting at plus 105. Uh, I, man, I was wishing actually for, for a wider number there. Um, I, I thought they'd be more front loaded on the fact that she's just been finishing bitches recently, that uh, they'd probably make, probably make the decision a little bit better. But uh, they're, they're wise to it. They know hell is difficult to put away. I know Rana Marco submitted her like three years ago, but again, Lemos, not much of a. Uh, it doesn't seem to be much of a BJJ threat in terms of taking the fight there and not really attacking your opponents from there. So, yeah, I like Lemos here. Um, you know, I'll, I'll pump the brakes on the minus 300 for now. Uh, but if you want to play her by decision at plus 105, I don't think that's a bad spot. And the uh, what are the overs at right now? Yeah, over two and a half minus 245. Yeah, I'm good. No mas. I'm good. How are you feeling about this matchup? So, on the one hand, I do agree with you that I didn't think he'll look great against Torres. But on the other hand, I would honestly, I'm going to get chewed out for this, but like I would favor Torres outright against Amanda Lemos, to be honest with you. So, like, if this was Tisha Torres at, at plus 250 against Lemos, I'd be backing up the truck here, to be completely honest. I, I, 
I don't want to say Lemos is bad. Like, I don't think she's bad or anything like that. But I do think the optics of her last two fights are kind of obscuring the rest of her career. You know, look, she was at 135 for the Leslie Smith spot fight. I don't put too much stock into it. She gassed out. But she was still getting outstruck on the feet by Leslie Smith, man. Like, that is a fucking bad look. And then she was a dog to Mizuki in a way. And look. She won that fight on power, and no doubt she won it. But those rounds were pretty competitive. And, you know, Mizuki had some success when she was able to find the pocket in those fights, and she was able to have a lot of success in the clinch in that fight. Um, look, I mean, I would rate Hill's game, her boxing, and her clinch game significantly better than Mizuki's. I, like, you know, given the success Mizuki had, <coughs> I have to believe Hill can have the same success. Like, I don't put – I do think Lemos is a big hitter, obviously. I don't really think um, – her knocking out Souza and Montserrat Ruiz are particularly meaningful outcomes, though, for this fight in terms of evaluating it. You know, Hill went in there, went 15 minutes with Jessica Andrade, had no problem beating the shots, was not almost finished on the feet, anything like that. Uh, look, she's going to come in there and she's going to throw a lot of output. She's going to take the fight to Lemos. My big concern on the Hill side of things is I agree with you. Look, if I thought Hill could defend herself on the mat, I would be going big on her here. But I don't think that. And I think if Lemos is smart, she will take it to the mat because I think she could potentially dominate the fight there and submit her. Um, but she has not proactively wrestled that much. And as such, like I'm not trusting her to come out and attempt six, eight takedowns. I still think her cardio is pretty suspect. Like the end of the Mizuki fight, she looked pretty out of gas in that third round. And so I'm taking a hill sprinkle here. I Am I in love with it? No. I only bet one unit on the money line. Um, but... I can't get like I really think unless Lemos is hurting her bad on the feet that it's going to be very very competitive standing. I think Hill's output's a bit more reliable. I think even though Hill doesn't have the best cardio herself, I do think her cardio is a bit more reliable as well down the stretch. I don't know, man. It's really hard for me unless you think Lemos KO is a high percentage outcome or that she grapples aggressively is a high outcome. It's hard for me to get much past like minus 150, minus 185 on Lemos here. Um, I put one unit on Hill. I also like the uh, Hill decision only prop here. It's plus 275. So if Hill gets finished, that's a push. I, I bet that. And like the thinking is basically, I kind of think Hill is going to win the last round at a pretty good clip. And I kind of think if this goes three rounds, you're probably looking at a very, very close decision. And so plus 275, I'm happy to have a piece of that. Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm not passionate about it. To be honest, the best case outcome here is probably Hill getting nuked and we actually getting Taurus at like a similar number. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I know a lot of people think the Lemos is like the future and the best striker in the division. Personally, I'm not seeing that yet. I need to see more. Uh, I'm taking, I'm back in the more proven fighter. Yeah, I'm right there with you as well. Uh, another aspect of this fight that people people can take is uh, bet Hill live after round one, right? That's yeah. a lot of uh, the win equity for Lemos is getting that first round knockout. And obviously, you know, she's going to win the first round or more than likely win the first round. So you get a better number on Hill there. Go ahead. What I will say about betting live after a round. I went on my podcast last week and I gave out Juliana Pena. And I said, I'm not betting the money line. I'm going to bet her live after a round. And then I watched the first round and I was like, oh, that wasn't the pace I was looking for. And I didn't bet her live. And then I wanted to hang myself at the end, right after she finished her. Oh, damn. That's a bad look. I know my, I know our guy Clint was uh, pulling the trigger at plus 1100 uh, going into that second round. But damn, Great man. Uh, yeah. 
I, I'm still reeling over that second round. That absolute <laughs> fucking crazy second round. I just can't believe how it happened, to be honest. Like, I thought, like, she could exhaust Nunes and finish her, but I thought it was going to be a lot of grappling. I didn't think she was just going to stand in the center and trade with her, you know? She just said, fuck it. Like, this is my opportunity. Let me try to take it from this bitch, and that's exactly what she, she did. broke her. Yeah. That was crazy. It All was right. crazy. Co-main event time. Uh, Wonder Boy is back. He's coming in at minus 220. He's going up against Bilal Mohammed, who's coming in at minus 180. Uh, another spot where I was trying to make a case for the underdog, but I just can't do it, man. Uh, obviously, I had some money on Wonder Boy when he went up against Gilbert Burns. Uh, it was very discouraging seeing him unable to stop those takedown attempts uh, and, and then just kind of getting control from on top. Some of those takedown attempts look very half-assed as well, which was even more discouraging. So once this matchup was announced, I was like, mm, maybe Bilal, you know, he'll be the obvious underdog here maybe it'll have some value in terms of being able to complete those takedowns and kind of replicate similar to what gilbert burns did not nah, dog not happening not happening i think even wonder boy at 38 39 years old should be able to do what wonder boy does i think he'll move effectively enough i think he'll be able to strike from the outside enough uh keep below that bay and he anytime below does try to crash forward and try to close the distance and get some uh grappling going I just think he's going to be met with uh, with some strikes that are going to keep him on the outside. A small cage obviously favors Bilal's game plan here. I just don't know how effective he will be in doing so. Um, in terms of props, very fishy one in terms of uh, figuring out uh, which side to go with. Because, uh, John, we talked about it a little bit before we went live here. Uh, Wonderboy by decision, uh, which currently sits at minus 125 now, actually. Um, that seems to be the obvious path. But I do think that he could possibly open himself up to KO Bilal here at plus 333, considering the, the striking difference that we're going to get here. Uh, I actually bet... Wonderboy, uh, so I bet Wonderboy against Jeff Neal last year. Uh, I, I also sprinkled a little bit of that KO prop as I, I thought eventually, you know, within those 25 minutes, he would be able to find that knockout blow against Jeff Neal, who, you know, I just didn't think was on Wonderboy's level at that point in time. It didn't transpire, but now we have 50 minutes here against a guy that's more hittable. Uh, likes to move forward, doesn't mind getting hit, but that might eventually be his downfall on him getting knocked out here by a guy like Bilal Muhammad. So, um, uh, uh, interestingly enough, earlier this week, a uh, Wonderboy was on Ariel's podcast talking about he wants to fight, you know, be the oldest fighter inside the UFC. And I made this statement that I'm like, you know, that's going to be very tough, especially when you're relying on uh, speed and timing to be your main uh, advantage over your opponents. The older you get, the less those things uh, matter and less uh, effective those things are. If you're a grappler like Randy Couture or something like that, yeah, you can fight later into your career if you can successfully grapple fuck these dudes. But that's not Wonderboy's game. Uh, however, I think that this is a good stylistic matchup for him to go out there and give us a classic Wonder Boy performance. I'm staying away from it personally. Yeah, you know I mean, in case that age just does come creeping out of nowhere and below, does somehow just beat him up by uh, you know attacking his legs and kind of moving forward and and putting some output on him. That's what's keeping me awake here. But I do think that we see a vintage Wonder Boy performance. I am gonna lean more so with the decision around even money than the knockout here. Uh, how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I think Bilal's in over his head here, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I had similar thoughts going into it where I was just like, oh, you know, Burns held him down. You know, it's possible, you know, Bilal will proactively grapple. It's possible he could get takedowns, hold him down, and win the fight. But re-watching the Burns fight, first of all, Burns is so much of a better athlete than Bilal. He's so much stronger. He's so much more explosive. And then when you look at the top game difference, like Burns' top game is elite, elite. And re-watching it, like Burns... The fact that Burns wasn't comfortable enough on top to try to advance and was like struggling to hold him there and just was basically like, okay, I need to maintain position. Really, look, I didn't think Thompson has elite getups, 
But he showed enough that, like, I'd be pretty surprised if Bilal can hold him on the mat. Like, it could happen, but, dude, I mean, if Burns was struggling to advance position against him and was kind of prioritizing solidifying position there, I don't really believe Bilal can hold him there. On top of which, I think Burns is just a much better wrestler than Bilal is. Uh, so, one, I don't think it's super likely Bilal has a ton of grappling success. Even if he lands a takedown or two, him getting more than a couple minutes of top time I don't think is super likely. Uh, the other part of it is range. Look, I mean, watch the Leon Edwards fight. I rate Wonderboy striking a bit better than Edwards, and Bilal just looked lost on the outside. He just couldn't figure out how to get inside. Every time he came forward, he'd get clipped. You know, the same thing happened to him in the Jeff Neal fight. When he goes up against guys who can counter hard, who are better athletes than him and faster, he just kind of runs out of ideas fast. Because, look, the bottom line is Bilal's gotten where he is because of fight IQ. He's very yeah. technical. He's very smart. But the bottom line is he's very athletically capped. You know, I don't really think – he's going to have an easy time getting inside on Wonderboy. And I think if he does try to force his way inside, he's going to get hurt bad. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm, I might take a stab at Wonderboy. I honestly don't – I'd be very surprised if he just gets grapple-fucked here. I really, really don't think that that's on the table, and I don't think Bilal winning minutes standing is on the table. So what are you left with? Maybe Bilal hurting him? I don't know. I'm not really buying it. But – in terms of props, it's a tough one, man. Like, like you just said, because it's like it, I think so much of like what is value on a prop perspective depends on how Bilal approaches this fight, right? If Bilal decides I'm going to win this fight, I'm going to come for him and I'm going to go for it, I think there's a pretty good chance Wonderboy knocks him out. He's so sharp on the counter; it, it's just he, he's going to get hurt at some point if he if he approaches the fight in that manner. On the other hand, though, if he approaches it like the Edwards fight, like that was looking like it was going to be a very low paced 25 minute decision for Edwards um, in that fight. You know, and if that happens here, I could see Wonderboy winning a decision as well. So, so much like I don't really love a prop here because so much of it is dependent on what Bilal's approach is going to be. But I do think Wonderboy has him outclassed. If you put a gun to my head, I would take the shot on the plus 350 Thompson KO. Um, I'm not super passionate about it, but I think Wonderboy handles him. I like it. I like it. An interesting aspect of this fight was they only announced it like beginning of November. This is one of the more shorter uh, notice fights for both of these guys. Again, they weren't scheduled to fight anybody else. It just came out of nowhere. They're like, let's throw you guys on the year end card. So here they yeah. are a month later fighting. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting part of this. But yeah, I absolutely agree with your analysis for this fight. All right. Main event time, uh, and another time for me to remind you guys, uh, shout out to the 100 live viewers that we have here on this Friday afternoon. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe, and then obviously show my guy John some love as well. Uh, follow him on Twitter at MMA Fox, and then obviously check out his podcast, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Club and Sub Podcast, link to, the, uh, to their podcast is in the description below, so make sure you guys go show them some love. All right, John. Main event time, heavyweight slugfest once again, minus 145 for the rising Chris Dawkins, plus 125 for Derek Lewis. I'm not fading Derek Lewis anymore, man. I can't, I can't fucking do it. The only guy that I trust him to do so is Cyril Gunn, and we're never getting that fight again. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Chris Dawkins, obviously the more skilled fighter here. We can say that about every single Derek Lewis fight is his opponent is more than likely more skilled than him, but it's just that knockout power and his ability to just land it whenever he wants to uh, usually causes his opponents to crumble. And I could absolutely see that happening here against Dawkins. I am going to pick the Dawkins side to win though. I do think he, he, uh, he'll move well enough here to, to stay away from the big shots of Derek. I do think that he'll try to play as safe as possible, work the body as much as possible, and then eventually start to open up in the second or third round uh, when Derek Lewis starts to slow down. Uh, but man, one fucking punch. 
And that's all it takes for Derek Lewis. And I'm not I'm not reeling myself into playing minus 140 on a guy that I don't trust to completely stay away, like Cyril Gunn would, would have or did actually back in August. Um, I, I'm gonna take Dacus. I'm gonna take Dacus by KO. That that seems to be the obvious play here. Uh that is currently sitting at uh why well, can't I find it? Here it is, Dacus by KO plus one twenty, not too bad. Uh one thing I wouldn't mind. Uh, late Lewis round props because we know that 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 you know usually has some legs. Uh, round three Lewis plus twelve fifty. Round four Lewis plus twenty fifty. Round five Lewis plus thirty fifty. Could happen. Doc is we're, we're, you know we're, we have question marks about his gas tank as well, especially with this newfound physique that he's been uh, showcasing over his last couple of fights. It's uh, pretty amazing actually seeing him go from like two fifty six in his UFC debut down to two twenty seven two fights ago, and now at about two hundred thirty pounds uh, for his last fight seems to be lower two thirties is where he really finds uh, his his sweet spot now. That's probably best for him to do so for this fight against Derek Lewis as well. Speed movement. Stay away from the big bombs, as is any game plan against a guy like Derek Lewis. I'd be surprised to see uh, Chris Dawkins try to engage in grappling here, try to take him down, because that's not really his game. Uh, but I do think that we'll see these guys slug it out. One of these is one of these guys are going to go down. Uh, the the fight doesn't go to decision. Seems to be the obvious play. That's obviously up at minus three seventy. But after Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, and obviously Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou, I'm not trusting heavy heavy chalk on fights to go twenty five minutes. You know what I mean? Again, we. We say they have 25 minutes to knock each other out. But when you have these big guys, their chance of knocking their opponent out starts to dwindle the longer a fight goes compared to, you know, a Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier, where if they go into a third or fourth round, they still have that finishing capability because they have the energy to do so. Um, my side, Dawkins, Dawkins by KO, but I'm not touching this fight. I'm kicking back watching this shit show occur before my eyes. How are you feeling this one? Yeah, I lean the Lewis side of things, to be honest. Um, I think it's impressive what Chris Dawkins has accomplished in the uh, in the UFC thus far. Uh, no doubt about it. You know, obviously, you know, he's got real power in his hands. He's a very slick boxer, good straight punches, good speed. One thing I've noticed with him, though, first of all, I actually go back and look at his entire career. The guy's never fought out of a second round in his career. Um, other thing is he tends to be a headhunter. And while I think Lewis is fairly fragile – he doesn't seem to be very fragile to head strikes. It's more if you go to the body and legs on him is where he has big issues, you know? So I'm not really convinced that Dawkins just comes out here and starches him off the bat. Um, also, you know, he's probably giving up about 50 pounds to Lewis in there, which is fairly significant. Uh, and Dawkins can be hit, man. We've seen him get hit by just about everybody he's fought. So far, he's held up under it okay. But, you know, Lewis is a different level of power here that we're going to see. Um, look, I get it. Everybody hates Lewis. He tends to be a meme. But the reality is, I think something that he doesn't get enough credit for is being a huge, huge hitter. Um, and the reality is, at heavyweight, having the ability to knock out people with the weight rate he does is a skill in and of itself. He may not be technical. He may not be, you know, the most durable guy ever. But the reality is the guy's got 20 fights in the UFC and 75% of, and won 75% of his fights. Like, that's pretty substantial, man. This guy's only losing to the best in the world. Uh, maybe Dawkins is in that tier. I am not so sold on it, though, to be honest. I, and like I said, he's only been, like, I agree with you on the late round props here just because Dawkins has never been out of round two. He gassed out against Zhuan Yanwu and got finished in round two of that fight. Yeah. Zhuan Yanwu, ladies and gentlemen, lost to Justin Ledet. <laughs> okay at heavyweight um I, i'm just i don't know like because i feel more or less the same as you i guess except the reverse it's like i do think 
you know, Dawkins has the tools to look like the favorite, obviously. But, like, I just – I, I kind of trust Lewis. I trust his pedigree. I trust his power a bit more. I know Dawkins can get hit. Um, and I don't think he's ever been hit by anybody that's going to hit like Lewis will. Uh, whether I play – I probably won't play the Lewis money line because plus 120, I mean, whatever. But Lewis KO, plus 175, I mean, I don't think he's going to win a decision. So I'm pretty happy to take the stab there. I, I don't think it's a mismatch or anything like that. But I do think it's a pretty, like, titanic step up. And we don't really have a lot of data about Dawkins' chin or how he'll handle going late into a fight. So – yeah, I'm on Lewis here. Uh, I I remember that Zuan and Yan Wu fight and being completely like face palming my myself, just being like, I can't believe he lost to that guy. But again, I feel like he's completely transformed himself since yeah. that fight. Yeah. Again, physically, you can see it. Uh, obviously, he's doing this thing full time now. I believe he had to leave his police job. Uh, but uh, yeah, very much looking forward to seeing if this fight does get extended into the later rounds. How it goes down all right let's get into our three best prop bets uh obviously i'd like to share who i'm going to be bringing on for the ultimate weigh-in show which actually kicks off in about three and a half hours uh so i'm going to be taking in these weigh-ins and then jumping on the live stream here uh with my guy nick kalikas from mma odds breaker uh you guys obviously know him from the ufc on the line show from fight pass as well uh he does that show with james kraus i believe on their own channel now um yeah, love Nick Ligas, one of one of my my favorite guys in the industry. Uh, I believe he's one of the main guys over there at Circus Sports in Vegas as well. Uh, when I went out there in August, he gave me a little bit of a, a behind the scenes tour of uh, what their operations look like. So that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't think of a better person to end the year off with than a sharp, sharp dude like Nick Lisa, Nick Ligas, who, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the first ever odds makers for MMA as well. This guy, yeah. uh, I remember the first time I talked to this guy, we were on the phone for about four hours just talking about the history of MMA and MMA betting. And this guy has a wealth of knowledge. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how he breaks down this card with me. And again, that goes down in about three and a half hours, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. We're going to uh, go over uh, what went down at the weigh-ins and then obviously give you guys our final predictions. All right, let's get to the three best prop bets for each of us. I will kick things off as I always do. The first one that I like, Tafa Hunsucker, won't start round two, minus 125. I don't mind that line at all. I know Tafa has been a little bit more patient in his last couple of fights considering he got starched by Jorgen Castro a couple of fights ago, but Hunsucker is not going to allow him to be patient. He's going to be in his face. He's either going to be looking for a takedown and eventually smashing him on the mat or finding a submission, or Tafa counters him properly here and puts Hunsucker's lights out. So I like that fight won't start round two. Next up, I like Iwo via decision at plus 330. Again, I think if he stays disciplined, keeps his distance, manages to use that jab effectively as he does uh, more often than not, I think that this is his fight to win at a plus 330. I love it as well. And then lastly, I got Ricky Simone via decision at plus 130. Uh, personally, I think I the line that I got was plus 115. Uh, still like that spot here. Uh, Sun Sal, even though he did get knocked out in his last fight by, last fight by Cody Garbrandt, historically he's a very durable fighter and that knockout was again i want to call it an anomaly considering the circumstances surrounding that uh that knockout and how it actually transpired uh i'd be surprised if simone finishes him but i think that simone will stay active enough maybe mix in a couple takedowns and then take home a decision victory for hopefully the biggest win of his ufc career so there you guys go uh, i did want to actually just talk about our last uh last prop bets um well 
again, I don't want to pat myself on the back. 3-0 on my last prop bets. I had uh, Oliveira Poirier, one-start round four, minus 170. Cruz via decision, plus 185. And then Costa Kelly, one-start round three at minus 150. Uh, Cody went 2-1 and one on props. He had the Cruz fight go to decision. He had the Kelly over one and a half, which catches, catches by like a minute and a half. So shout out to him for there. Uh, but then he loses on the Ige decision. And unfortunately, my guy John had a very enough right, rough night. Picking fights to go to a decision that did not go to a decision, but I know that my guy John will bounce back this week because he has some pretty damn good props that I, I think that you guys are going to want to hear about. So, John, there you go. First one up. Yeah, first one up. I got Eubanks via decision. Uh, bottom line, I just think she's the more skilled fighter everywhere. Eubanks should be able to get this down and dominate on the mat. She's not a proactive finisher from there, though. Prioritizes control. I think the decision line should be closer to evens, and we're getting plus 150. I love that. Next up, I got Hill decision only plus 275. Basically means if there's a finish, this is a push. I think if this card fight goes to the cards, you're looking at a pretty sweaty fight that's probably 50-50. Plus 275, I'm happy to take the stab. If you don't have access to it, I don't mind a poke at Hill decision plus 500 either, to be honest. And last up, I got Lewis via KO. Like I just said, I think Dawkins is there to get hit. There's a lot of questions about his cardio. I don't think he throws the body a lot. So I think these guys are going to exchange shots to the head. And I trust Lewis a lot more in that kind of fight. Um, Lewis is a huge hitter. I think plus the KO line being 55 cents worse than the money line is kind of crazy. So yeah, Lewis by KO. Love it. I love it. And unfortunately, I do not have any props from Cody because I just waited too long to reach out to him and... Yeah, he hasn't posted on Twitter in like five days, so I'm sure the guy is just chilling and doing his own thing here. But as you guys obviously know, he usually posts his stuff on Twitter. So if you guys want to see what his favorite props are, make sure you guys go check him out at CJ Saftik on Twitter. Uh, John, on the back end here, obviously I'd like to give you the platform here to say anything that you want on the back end, and then I'll wrap this bitch up. Yeah, Wednesday nights. I mean, we had our last show of the year, but Wednesday nights, Club and Sub Podcast, 10 p.m. Eastern. You can check me out on Twitter at MMA Fox. If you ever have any questions or anything about what I'm thinking, feel free to reach out. Hit me with a DM and I'll reach out to you. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next year, first card of the year. Uh, it was a pretty profitable year. The last couple months could have been better, but you know what? We're going to jump into next year and crush it absolutely absolutely yeah this is the last week of the ufc fights for the the year uh reminder me and clint are going to be starting our show deadlock podcast uh january 5th is the first show january 5th at 7 p.m eastern make sure you guys tune in for that one uh but yeah uh john appreciate you taking out the time as always to do the show good luck on your best this weekend as well as the 100 live viewers as well if you guys haven't already make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way out and then obviously uh show my guy john some love as well with this club and some podcast link to the uh his channel is in the description below show my man some love and then obviously check out his podcast Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Club and Salt Podcast. All right. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. Eubanks by decision. Let's fucking go. Good luck on your bets. And I'll go see you guys tomorrow. at 4.30 p.m. Eastern uh, with Nick Kalikas to do the, the breakdowns one last time with you guys. Peace out.